Hello, everyone. This is the podcast called Local Music Heroes, and my name is Serge. Today, we're going to have a conversation with a great person, multi-instrumentalist, shaman, and truly, truly spiritual musician, Dan Meyer. Hello, Dan. So recently, I was watching documentary about about you and one of the part over there about the healing people so fascinated to me and i'm interesting uh why and when did you start do that uh-huh. yeah uh even even though music has always been that pain well i i realized it did that for me but little did i know that i could sort of put my uh, self aside and and become so empathetic with a person that I could feel them and therefore try to play what I felt was a resonant vibration from that person. And so it was, because not all people are skilled at playing music, Mm -hmm. but each person has a, what I think is a resonant frequency and it's individual to that person. So I started doing that for people, you know, and realizing that they were highly affected. And then I noticed that the music was always different. Always different. It was always different, you know, because, uh, uh, in other words, it did take on the individuality of the person I was doing this for. So I thought, well, okay, that's really good. And so that was... Uh, one thing led to another, uh, you know. Was it like a experimental thing? So you just try to see how how the music works and how they affect it on people. Because I do get, you know, like when the magic happened, and you did experience that healing process, like when like in like happened in front of you. Oh yeah, oh yes. And and like I can say that even after doing this year after year, nearly 20 years, every week, not one time in 20 years doing this, every week did I enter the hospital with one set of vibrations and leave with the same. I always left amazed that there had been connections some of them so profound that I couldn't imagine how that could happen. But it did happen, and it happened over and over. Every week for whatever it was, 18, 19 years. And people, you find people at the hospital not worried whether, you know, if they're living or about to die or... Or, or really experiencing some dilemma in their life, which was life-threatening. They're not worried if they lock the door at home. They're not worried about, do I get the double cheeseburger or the single one? They're just, they're not in that place. Where else does a musician find a person with no agendas that through sound, which is quicker than any other device to reach into a person, it's quicker than the mind's ability to decide 
what it is. It's like, it's just like when you hear a song, you know, go like, oh, I wonder why I'm feeling this way. And then you go back, oh, because when I heard that song, it brings everything back. And it, it approaches you on a level, I think, that's eternal, not just momentary. Um, and so this became uh, one of the ways that music was so important to letting go of yourself completely and as you become more and more proficient you learn how to completely let go of the process and become involved only in the experience of it and the experience always was the only thing that was real anyway the others were just odd concepts you know but Watching people's response, including complete healing for them often. Um, I remember one time going, you know, <laughs> into a waiting room in the hospital. You know, they let me go anywhere I wanted. And so I'd go up and down the halls. I'd go into rooms. I'd go into, into intensive care units and birthing units and I'd play for the heartbeats of, of unborn babies. I, I noticed that I could change the heartbeat of, really? of an unborn baby. And uh, so one time I was in the, uh, just going through the halls, and oh, there were about 18 people in a room all waiting for their appointments and this and that. I didn't say anything. I just... Uh, Went in there and I took one of my tank drums out and just, just started playing. And then I played and I noticed it was getting quieter in there and quieter and quieter until really there wasn't any, people weren't conversing much, but they I could see they were listening. And so I just, so I took them further down, further, further into the subtleties of the sound. And when I finished playing, I just said, there, you can all go home now. You're all healed. I, mean, I was joking, of course. I, I mean, the hospital would not have been too good. I don't think that would have been good for business, you know. <laughs> but, but seriously, and, and you know what? I'd say three-quarters of them told me, got busy telling me how that was true, how that was true, because they sense when... All of a sudden, the tensions that were bringing on their sicknesses, the things, the stresses that were causing them to hold on to the pain, were telling, you know, were pretty much eliminated. And uh, sometimes voluntarily for people, but involuntarily, just it, it something takes place deep in a sound. And I don't mean music, just within a vibration. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do mean music because that, they are vibrations. And that's why some songs take a turn for a... For a uh, I mean, if music didn't have dissonance in it and unpleasantness, how would it ever sound pleasant? Uh, you know, so it's the tension that creates 
and anticipation and how do we get what we're anticipating? Sometimes and sometimes not. Sometimes it surprises. Actually, when I was walking this morning, I said that to myself. You know, I've learned a lot more from things I don't like than from things I do like. And so you get this dissonance in the sound, and then you resolve that dissonance, and then you go, okay. But if had, had you not heard the dissonance, the pleasantness would have just been ho-hum. But the resolution, yeah. So how you choose what kind of instrument you should bring to the hospital? So it's, I, I mean, I understand it's just a tool, you know, to build a connection between you and patient. But does like any instruments like works differently or why you choose one from another? Or you just experimenting with it. So how that, how, how it works. I like using instruments that don't have a context for people. Meaning, meaning, if you play a guitar, uh, they're more likely to say, oh, he plays the guitar well, or he didn't play the guitar very well, or he played it well. So they have that sort of and, reference. And it, so, so I like using instruments um, like that. I mean, I have them sitting all around me. I, I, put a I can show you a couple right yeah, here. Yeah, of course. Well, th this example, not many people, and... We've all heard Columbus before, but this one has. has a nice effect with people because it is so subtle and soft and it's easy to carry and Something like the tank drum is just absolutely amazing. I'm headed to doing a recording on this one uh, soon.
so if should you should you get near people often that are he kind of half asleep and then they they don't know that they're going to sleep they're troubled in their sleep you, just by playing something if you were sick in the hospital or just sick of the way things are going in the world. <laughs> I think it's in the subtleties of the sound that we find pictures of ourselves that are more real, like from the dreamlike state, below the level of consciousness, before you're aware of how to analyze what this is and make something out of it. If you're just simply affected by the vibrations, it's, it, it's one thing. I used to love looking into a room and, and I had permission to not knock on, on doors so that my knock was a sound. And should I knock, then I would bring that person back into consciousness. And I like to catch a person slightly below the level of consciousness. I would quite often just go into a room uh, carefully and just play something and think of yourself. If I was dreaming, think to yourself, like this person is, is dreaming or is, is alive, is, is conscious on some levels. I'm going to play to that being. Not the one who's worried about whether he's having Cheerios or cornflakes for breakfast, you know. Um, and so I would play to that person in that state of, uh, sleep, let's say, or, or in a dream state or somewhere, wherever they were. And I would often go back and I would get this over and over. I would say, you know, you were here before, weren't you? He said, I thought I, and I said, I thought the angels were playing. <laughs> and and uh, so I realized that when I'm doing this, like I used to put a nine-foot concert grant out on the middle of the stage at the at the college where I was a student. I was I had I had to put the piano out, and so and after various meetings and things were done, then I had to put the nine-foot grand back in, but the lights would all be out, so I'd push that out into the middle of the stage, and I'd found that. I could play the simplest things and have the most profound experiences. Just sometimes, just, just an octave, just one chord, and listen to it die out. It's the, the loving of every note that causes life to be injected into this on a level that is... 
what it is. If there was a description of it, there honestly wouldn't be a need for it. It's, you know, uh, I, I love the title of, a, of an album title I saw, and I'd like to use it, only they already used that title. And it was, the title of that album was Where Words Can't Go. And if there was ever a description of music, yeah, you know, where words can't go. Yeah, so I. But I, I've heard like the. So in the hospital, this even people like woke up from comas, while you like doing that stuff. It's just happened at least a dozen times. And it surprised everybody. Uh, and nobody can explain, like, why, how they happened. It just, like, they... No, but I got... After it had happened a couple times, I realized that this was really significant. So I noticed sometimes that, I mean, I have such respect for doctors and nurses that sometimes work these 12-hour shifts for like four days in a row. Just thinking how much pressure that would be that way to have to do that and, and have to get to the next person, having more people to take care of than they really can and working these long hours. Uh, so it's difficult for them to always feel that, you know, that they're working from uh, this pill does that and this process relieves that and, and the human aspects of it seems to get missed a lot. And <laughs> if you play music without the human aspect of it, then you're just making noise. Uh, but if you're playing this from some place of longing and desire and some place of listening rather than I'm going to make this sound. No, I'm going to make this sound and where does it take me? What would I do next after this sound? And as you then weave this tapestry it envelops a person in threads of love, meaning sonic vibrations that are coming from that place. And great things can happen. Unexplainable things. Uh, explainable to some, uh, but this is so important that that experience is what's real, not the theory of what's real. A theory is just a theory, but an experience uh, brings this into a different form. And, and as people experience these things, you can't you can't deny experience. It just like it's bring me to. Um, that story, I think it's an incredible story, how you met with Orem, mm -hmm. and because it was like similar, so you send over the, one of your CDs, and then like make huge impact on the people who he worked with. Yeah. Can, you, can you tell about th th this, this story? Well, uh, back in the 
late 90s. I was looking for equipment that I could take out into nature because I was loving to reflect sounds off of walls and, and this. And, and I found that John Oram was one of the most noted audio engineers in the world uh, for building things like this. So he had started to build something for me. And somehow the American-British-UK connection got garbled and it didn't work out at that time. But later, I, had, I bought a piece of his equipment and sent him a recording that was done uh, as a, what I call a resonance, a personal resonance reading. And this was an attempt to be in a room with a person, not in the hospital or anything, but have them come where I was surrounded by instruments and then I would try to sense their feelings and make an attempt to play what I would feel that person's vibrations were. Uh, and so I sent him a recording of this, and little did I know that, that they had had a, a suicide in their factory, and this was a very tightly knit group of people with, uh, I don't know how many employees, but a fairly sizable amount of employees, and so it really affected them. And so I had sent this recording at, at about this time and didn't think anything of it. I just left it there. And uh, three years later, I, I had had some problems with early digital stuff not sounding very good be, compared to analog things at the time. You know, what can we do about this? And all of a sudden, I, I'm talking to John Orham, and, and he knew who I was and he and he was uh, because I'd sent this and he was very excited for some reason and, and he said that I had made such a difference in his small unit company that he had that he would build anything for me and asked for a list of everything I had and he would build his special electronics for me, and he he did that, and and so there was an example of it coming around, something I never expected. I just called him to solve this problem. Why does digital sound harsh? Why doesn't it have the warmth of the real thing, like this? Well, I mean, it's gotten really good now. Yeah. That's, that's so that, uh, that's why those like uh, DM16, which is then Meyer 16, came out, right? And all those preamps, uh, the, the summit mixer, right? Yes. And uh, so uh, he, he did make this for me, and they have resulted in some extremely warm recordings. And I have chosen to stay on the analog side of things more than what would probably be wise. <laughs> if, if, if I wasn't this old, I I'd say, okay, bite the bullet and learn this, uh, this the way that they're recording nowadays. And, but I uh, enjoy recording the way that I do, and I'm getting some nice recordings. 
by the way, talking about the gear, what kind of gear you currently use right now in your in your setup, and what is kind of the main heart of your studio right now? Because we have a lot of people who are interested in gear, and they really curious, like, hey, what kind of synths, what kind of stuff you're using right now when you're recording? So basically, what's your main heart of your studio? Well, unfortunately, some of my physical conditions, I mean, I'm very healthy as far as normal. I have no degenerative types of diseases, and I'm I'm healthy and ride bikes a lot and 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 happy but i do have essential tremors that have uh, that have caused me unable to play some of my favorite instruments of the past like uh i would never turn my back on the japanese shakuhachi the the zen meditation flute as it's often referred to there was something about that you could get more out of a single note and one breath than anything that I found. Um, but that's not available to me anymore. But a creative person is a creative person. And he doesn't stop just because one, one thing falls down. He finds another way to express. So currently, what I'm using are most of my synthesizers are analog synthesizers because they just have this extra warmth. Uh, though I have to admit that some of the new digital synthesizers are so good that they, they're now being called uh, digital is the new analog. And, and I kind of know what they mean, and they're also kind of right. Uh, but primarily, I'm using groups of synthesizers. And uh, this is Studio Cat, by the way. This cat, this is Pixie Bear. And Pixie Bear comes in here and, well, shows me how powerful sounds are because Pixie Bear will always get in the center of the sounds. He will always get in the center of sounds. And... Uh, uh, and of course I do a lot of nature recordings and of course there's a lot of birds in them and of course what cat wouldn't be interested in a <laughs> flock of birds but I run these these synthesizers and things through through John Orm's equipment and through good equipment with good connections and I am really into real-time excerpts of things, meaning I don't multi-track hardly ever anymore. Um, I, want, I want it to be like a real performance, not, not something that I'll do this and now I'll fix that later and by the time you've fixed everything, you've lost the, a certain continuity of the energy. And so that's, that's why I, I am... Uh, I'm working on an album right now. That I, I'm not sure what the title is going to be. I, I have probably all, all but one or two tracks yet to do. And I, the title may be 
real-time treasures. Meaning, these are excerpts of real time. There's not, I went back and fixed this, I went back and changed that, I took these wrong notes out, I pitch corrected that, none of that. This is all as it unfolds in real time. Because I really feel, uh, I really feel like uh, there is something to the continuity of, of time that needs to just, I mean, a recording, many people don't really know where the word recording came from. Do you know that the old flutes that were called recorders? Mm -hmm. They came from the fact that back in the oh, 16th century, 17th century, they would use flutes, recorder flutes, to teach birds to sing. And so they would play things, and the bird would play it back, as in a recording. And so these were then named recorders. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I know they called it recorders, but I didn't know the, yeah. where they come from. Yeah. That's interesting. And uh, my music takes on a thing of, of relating one note to the next, and, and, and things go where they go. And I like to capture that. As so, like a one performance yeah. being in a one moment. Yeah, so uh, my next CD I think might be called uh, Real-Time Treasures. Because when you've had a segment in music of real time where this energy took place, uh, you may listen to it over and over and over. And as you do, analyzation will get you. It'll get you, it gets your thoughts going into a place to where you eventually end up not knowing whether you like it or not. I, I never know when I finish some of these real-time things whether that's going to actually make it or not. I have to almost rely on other people's listening. So it's said, oh, man, don't destroy that one. Whatever you do, that one, okay, if that was, okay, that works. And never do I make a recording that I wouldn't want to go back and change at least 50 things about it. But you know, this is what took place during the time. Uh, often I'll make a synchronization kind of mistake where, and then I'll realize, well, that was interesting because I really didn't want it just falling rock solid on the beat. I wanted it to have a shape. And so maybe I'll make that shape a couple more times. And then I might throw in a little curve at the end of the third time I do it or something, or not. Maybe I'll think, well, I'll just repeat this over and over until it becomes a drone into a person's mind that they are now not listening to but are being affected by it. Uh, there really is something to this. Uh, like my last CD was called, uh, it's be the second one I've done this year, it was called Transformations. And a lot of that had trance-type repetitions in it that you become unaware of that they're affecting you. And, uh, and then you can float 
little things over them. You know, it's like, you know, do people think that leaves in the autumn, like now, fall off the trees in neat stacks of 10? Each of them, <laughs> you know? No, things are messed up a little bit. Music is too precise nowadays. It, it, it needs to bleed and sweat and, and, and uh, I, emanate. I was noticed that. So uh, yesterday when I dro drove here from Seattle, and I listened to one of your like older CD. It's called a Spring Something. Spring Magic. Spring yeah. Magic. And yeah. the first track. Uh, so they, like you mentioned, they have some not. And the first track, and I didn't notice any like a mistakes between like measurement. But I was driving. I was like almost. I, I didn't crash or something. But there was like a two or three moments. Um, I don't know. You would call them magic or something. So I'm driving, listen to the song, and for some reason they took myself out of me and just like there was like something, and they just like put it back, and I like just driving like, what was that? And then like and then like maybe in like few minutes later, there was some transition for something else, and that was again the, the same thing. And then like couple moments just from the first track I experienced, I like. I mean, it's really really hard. Maybe people who are gonna hear that might not understand quite what I'm talking about un unless they will hear. So I'll put the link uh, on description below for transformation for that track but that was something i i don't know i, I probably called the magic because it take myself out of, out and then i experienced something i i don't know like i don't have words for that it's just different moments and then just but like for a few moments and what that magic happened i think that's that that's beautiful when it was like that type of stuff came out and the one performance that's that that's insane. That's why I like wow, that's 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 amazing. Yeah. Uh, that, that's why we go exploring, you know. If I design something, then I've manufactured it. But if I just go into an exploration of something, it's hard to tell what you're gonna find. And you may have to stumble over a few rocks and things and and stuff and and you might find that some of your stumbling caused you to look at something that you wouldn't have seen before. And so that's where there's a chance for, I'll use the word magic, but it may not be magic as much as it is, is, is uh, an unobservable science is actually going on there. Uh, you, I mean, the scientist is trained to observe and figure out why these things happen and so on. I'm not so much interested as to why they happen. I'm just interested that they do happen. They, they do happen when, when I get uh, deep inside a sound, which reminds me a little bit of one of my poems that talks about my relationship with, with sound that says... Deep inside a sound, I found a special home where subtle sound explosions never end, where peace becomes the answer to no questions asked, where love's flow fully covers every soul I don't have to know. Love's in control. 
Love's buoyant bubbles break my surface with a smile as joyous winds give rise to anxious wings. Let kite strings break in search of higher heavens. Sing songs of silence to the unseen wind. Come fly with me, within, without. Come fly with me, no fear, no doubt. Come sigh with me, your own sweet air within this moment, our souls laid bare, open to the time of now. Together we can laugh somehow, accept the moment's sacred power, on sound-stretched wings we'll reach love's tower. Wow. It's... When so when you like uh, speaking of recording, um, do you remember your like first recording equipment and when did you start record and how you start and why you decide to oh. record and like explore sound? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do remember that I, I was I was strictly a pianist and was not interested in recording, but I had an incredible big grand piano and I spent a lot of time with it and it was in a cool place. And, and so I ended up getting these Nakamichi microphones and a Nakamichi cassette deck and said, well, I'm just gonna make my own recordings. Well, little did I know how Little did I know how little I knew <laughs> about what it takes to make a good recording. Uh, and so it kind of started from there. And uh, and I got some reasonably good results, but I wanted unreasonably good <laughs> results. And so that took a lot of experimentation, and, and I'm experimenting now. And I think it's good to forget most of what you've learned, because if you think you know what you're doing, then you're liable not to get any better at doing <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, a reason for doing it a different way is because last time you did it that way, you know? So, like, this is... I like that music is in time. It's in, it's in a space of time, and that time can never be gotten back. And, and, it, and yet that is what we achieved to do in recording, and... I honestly don't know whether recording has made music less important to people or more important to people. Uh, I, you know, it, it's it's good that we can get back what some of those experiences were at that time, but then people just think that they just turn on music and they they don't learn to enough about, you know, it's always like, uh, I'm going to put it on while I study. I'm going to put it on while I'm vacuuming the floor. And I'm going like, while you're vacuuming the floor? You mean 
you got a vacuum cleaner on, and you told me you really, really like listening to my music with the vacuum cleaner on. <laughs> Why did I go to all that trouble with those fine, minute details? And not that there's anything wrong with, with having music on uh, while you're doing other things. It just never worked for me. Uh, when I was in college, and I was a music major at the time, my roommate always wanted to put his records on while we were studying. I can't do it. If music is on, I have to listen. It's like, it's like I'm drawn to it, like a moth to the flame. As I've written, I hope my Icarus waxed wing flight was not in vain. But I must not learn, uh, but I must learn to not linger while passing through the flame. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of, you mentioned of your like a, a young age when you were in university. I remember that story you told me. If you would share, that would be awesome. The story when you like decided to, uh, there were a girlfriend at the time, and you're like, oh, they have a, like a nice Acura car. And like, you should get that one. She's like, nah, I don't want to get that, and it's not interesting. And you're like, I'm going to get that. But like the way how you made money for that, that was that was insane. How you like take your piano and go to the mall. You remember? Can, can you tell about that story? Because <laughs> I, I think it's insane. Uh, how many, like eight or nine times you ask, go there and ask them and they said, nope, no, nope, oh, no. Nope. And oh, then yeah. finally said, yeah, okay, you yeah. can play here. Yeah, that was, that was true. I, I had a vision that this would be really successful if I if I would put a grand piano in the middle of the Bon Marche <laughs> during Christmas time. And they told me, no, 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 we can't do that. That this isn't gonna and, and but I had this vision and I mean he, he did and he did. He told me no so many times, but before I walked out of there he signed me up for all of it. And it turned out to be really, really successful. And I created, at that time, I created a, an album called Keylightful Touches. And this was before CDs. And so we didn't have the, the digital transfer of, of things then. But I was multi-tracking at that time onto half-inch reel-to-reel tape at 15 inches per second, eight tracks. And so I took the tracks minus the piano things and did that for people live during that time. And people were quite amazed at that at the time. And there would be sometimes oh, 30 to 50 seconds of time between when the tracks are going. I'd have to be playing the piano for over a minute and have to come in perfectly 50 seconds later with the track that would be there at the time. And, and you'd think that was really hard to do. It's not. It's not hard. In fact, it always amazed me. So you just feel the music, and you feel it this way, and you know that it moves like this and this. And then all of a sudden, there's the orchestra right there, right at the time. 
And that, that always baffled me how that even though I'm not cueing it or anything, mm -hmm. that time as you've rehearsed it and so on, uh, without even thinking about it, you can estimate 52 seconds on the dot over and over. You, you couldn't do that normally without the music playing. So that says something that you've infused that time with energy that places it perfectly uh, without knowing it. Uh, I don't know how significant that is, uh, but uh, it is interesting that it can be done that way. But it's much easier to do that nowadays because we can just push a button and say, okay, enter track, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah. So can you tell me um, um, how, because the way, since the way how I know, the way how you learn the music was a little different than the other people learn music, even though like we have something similar, but other people just like go to like a, you know, like beginning music education And then they start from there, or even not early age. Sometimes it's like 15 years, and then later. So, how was your, uh, what was your way to learn music? <laughs> well, that really, really started as a practically a baby. Uh, I was the youngest child in our family of four. My sister was the oldest. Uh, And my sister was an incredible musician. And I would be a, a sleeper. I'd have to go to bed early because I was a little kid. But my sister was down the stairs, and the piano was kind of at the bottom of the stairs. And I would hear that music as I would go to sleep. I could, it just, it just changed me from the beginning. And also, my sister would play little games on my head uh, with, with rhythm. And she'd, she'd do these things with shit. Uh, my name was Booty. Her name was Tootie, okay? And she would go on my head with this. She would go, this is Booty. 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 And then she'd then she'd make me do that on her head. So she was teaching me rhythm and things all along. Uh, and even before I ever went to grade school, we would sit in front of the the big radio that we'd have, and because she was quite a professional musician at an early age and went to Columbia University and in New York and, and uh, was also connected to Juilliard. And so as a, before I was even old enough to go to school, we would, she would have me sit there and listen to Carnegie Hall from uh, New York, you know, and where the New York Philharmonic was playing. And she, and she actually had staff paper, you know, music scoring paper and things, and she'd 
She taught me how to score the sounds that I was hearing. How old you were? I don't know, before I was going like to four school. Or five? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And um, I just thought everybody did that. It's like a game you just played. Sure, it was just a game. I mean, how beautiful. This was not like, oh, you got to go do your studies, this and that. No, this was a great game. This was like playing rhythms on your head and doing little things. And so, so I had this early, early, intense, loving connection to what music was. And so I love music. We played musical games all the time. Little did I know how, how significant they were to, you know, to instilling that, you know, people, people like to say, oh, well, you're just talented. You're, you're just, you just were born with musical talent. No, I wasn't. I was born <laughs> with somebody in an environment where somebody did this all the time and it was fun as all get out. And so, and so that just instilled in me this, and and I always wanted to chase it, and I still do. Uh, I, uh, you know, I'm a sound chaser, and and now, at, at just right close to eighty now, uh, I've quit saying I play music anymore. Uh, Music plays me. I'm just, I'm just a listener. But I, I also know how to get to what I hear. And I wish everybody did. And I think almost everybody would. Would do that nowadays. I don't think that there's anything special about, about uh, me as a musician, a talented musical person, no. I just had a special relationship with people <laughs> when I was little that put that. But then how like uh, education will in impact on your musicality, on your music skills? So then you, you went to the music school, right? And sure. then college. So how they affected, did they bring you like down? Because I, I have a similar story with my dad. My dad started like similar with you. He, uh, that was a crazy story. He was like five years old, like like you, and then have a, like a party at the house and they left little accordion. Yeah. Because they were drunk and they don't want to keep it. They just left home. And he <laughs> picked it up by himself and started playing it by ear. He learned mm -hmm. how, to, how to play by ear. It's kind of complicated instruments, you know? Yeah. And it's like figured out how to play with nobody teaching you. And then like uh, my my grandma so she, she know like okay so you kind of have a, the skills so i'll go you to the music school then he went to the music school and then teacher like okay alexander you need to learn like this notes he's like i don't want to learn notes it's not interesting i want to play and and he quit like in three months and never finished the education but he said like i quit but you you're not gonna quit so he made me to go mm -hmm. but he had a similar thing and that education really stopped him Mm -hmm. He he didn't stop playing music, but they, he didn't like he, he stopped liking it music and like all this theory thing. He said like it's not interesting for him anymore, and he kind of like closed in his mind about the music in general. Mm -hmm. But how it's really affected you? Because you were already muse super musical, and then you went to kind of similar education system. So how really education system like affects on you? 
Um, while you were talking about that, I came across the answer to that, and I've already forgotten it. But I, I, it, I'll find it again here. Uh, I don't demit, dismiss at all what I've learned, you know, in music schools and how to resolve German and French and Italian sixths and how to, uh, what, how to figure inversions and how voice leading works and what, what non-harmonic tones are. And the, but, but that's after the fact. That's after the music takes place and then you realize, oh, and now I can communicate that with somebody. Uh, and they'll know what I'm talking about. You know, you know, is this a downward mordant or is this an upward one? Well, you know, well, you, the language, this is about the language, the musicology, the basically the musicology, the scientific study of music. It's very valid. But from the heart itself, what causes the music to have this effect on you? Why is it that you can find a cardboard box and make little sounds on it this way and that, and, and that entices you because one, it sounds one way if you do it this way and another way, and this one feels, feels good. It feels good. What, how does it affect my, my body? How does it affect my, my energy overall? Why is it that I now have forgotten about all the things that are really bad going on in this world now, you know? And like, now I don't have stress. Now my blood pressure is better. Now I'm healthier. You know, I mean, I didn't do the, these things to get healthy. It re just results in that. So music... Side effect. Kind of. Yeah. So uh, it's, it, it, it may be good to know that this lowers your blood pressure or something, but I'm not doing this to lower my blood pressure. It does that. Uh, and I'm attracted to do things that feel good and, and that relieve stress that uh, basically I've created out of some illusion. The, the things that were, were wrong. A uh, friend of mine, uh, Joe, Joe Holdsworth by name, uh, wrote down a quote that I said the other day. I, I said, I solved a lot of problems today that I didn't even have. <laughs> you know? And yeah. You know, we create problems that we don't even have often. Uh, I solved a lot of problems I didn't even have today. In other words, I let go of the possibility of problems. Uh, and uh, hello, my name is Dan. I'm a recovering perfectionist. You know, it's like having to be a perfectionist at things it's like again the thing that like darn those leaves they didn't uh, they didn't fall in neat stacks of ten. You know some of them fell in the river, some of them fell in the ground, went back into the ground. This is the way that things are. They aren't perfect according to 
to what I think is perfect. I, uh, perfection is such an overrated uh, thing. I mean, not that... Not that I won't spend endless amounts of time to figure out which wire is going to make a better connection and how it's... But what, what's the reason? Because I don't want any electronics or anything between me and the music that comes out. I'm trying to make all the mechanical things go away so that there is just this relationship with sound. And why is it that that sometimes the simpler we, we make music, the more profound effect it has on us. How, what, what really good musician and, or guitar player hasn't picked up a guitar uh, and, and just played like one chord and just, just smiles and goes, like, uh, okay, just play that chord again. Oh, wow. Oh, this this guitar has an energy. It's it's in a row with ten others that said just like it. Why did this one? Why did this one have that vibration? I don't know. I don't care. You know. Okay, the scientists get it because the grains in the wood caused this to do this and this and this. I, I, you know. As in that line in that poem, you know, uh, peace, the answer to no questions asked. I don't have to know. Wow. Hey, I just saved myself a lot of time by not having to know all this. I know the effects that it had. You know, that's what I'm after. If, if this person wakes up as they did one time and I was playing to a room in, in, in intensive care uh, one time. I had nothing more than a feeling. I didn't have any information. Nobody said that behind that curtain. This, But I had this feeling that there was a reason. I often play to, to curtains not knowing uh, not knowing that there's anybody behind that curtain. Uh, I, 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 and I will admit that sometimes I have played with that <laughs> intention that I'm playing to this curtain. And, and you were right. There was nobody behind that curtain. <laughs> but other times uh, I play with the intention of healing and reaching somebody that's there that I don't know, I don't know who they are, I don't know whether it's man, woman, child, anything. I know nothing. Uh, in this case, back to the ICU, I was playing to this uh, curtain, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, the curtain kind of un came undone, and there were a bunch of children in of uh, this man's children were in in that room they were rushing over to their dad and 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 the dad i could hear him say literally said why are you so upset don't you realize that what what you are hearing is where it is there is nothing to be afraid of
There is nothing to be afraid of. Uh, and uh, and then doctors started running in there. He'd been in a coma for weeks. And, and here he was reassuring his children that, like, there was nothing to be concerned about. Where this music was coming from was, was all, that, all that mattered. He didn't use those words. Uh, he used, uh, but he said, that's where it's at whatever that meant. And for them not to worry about anything, well, he, he, uh, I, he got out of the hospital and went on living. Uh, but he was, they were all there because he was told he was dying and he only had a few hours left. And, and he'd already been in the coma too long. Um, why did he come out at that time? Uh, I don't know. I don't need to know. Uh, I don't need to know why. Um, so, but I have seen now over and over that I I truly believe in my own life experience uh, that music has saved my life more than one time. And I always noticed that if I had been ill for some reason, whether my own upsetness got me ill or whatever it was, that with music, I recovered really quickly. Yeah. I, uh, I recovered from illness really, really, really fast. And I really think that music has a lot to do with that. Maybe it's just because music makes it worth living, you know? <laughs> uh, it's deeper than that. But how? Uh, we'll, let the, we'll let the scientists figure, it out, figure that out. And, and I love what they figure out. Uh, yeah. What do you think for our, uh, for like new generation of musicians? Uh, like a young musicians, uh, from your perspective, what do you see? What do you think they need to work on, or what do you think? What kind of advice would you give them? Like what uh, what they missing? How from your perspective, what they would like focus on? Hmm. Imagination. is so powerful. You know how you can hear certain things, oh, and they'll say, oh, that just, that just, oh, that just reminds me of soft uh, snow coming down, like little flaky sounds coming down, and you can, that just sounds, and there's little crystalline sounds on this. Just, I, I, what I would say is the most important thing to sound is silence. Because where, where does the smallest amount of light have the biggest impression? In the greatest amount of darkness. The smallest little tiny speckle of light all of a sudden is noticed. 
So what I would say, which becomes increasingly difficult in this world now, is to do what you can do to, to wipe out all memories of past, present, or future, and then drop, then drop a sound into it, into that silence, and see light you've never seen before. And make that, a, make that a practice every day, if you can. Uh, if you can get away from the barrage of noise that surrounds us. This is why I love going into the mountains and away. And, and it's like, you know, you know, you've heard the expression, the silence is deafening. Sometimes silence is just like, oh, wow, that's almost driving me crazy. Because, like, it's just, well, well listen deeper into that silence because what's laid on that silence is like the greatest frame possible for for a sound and again don't play don't play another note till you've heard the beauty in the note you're playing how will it connect how will it connect if you do that and so like uh being too busy to have to get to the next note really quickly for any reason like isn't important it, it isn't important how quick you get to the next note what's important is how much energy does the note you're on have and and then what how would it connect i mean it could connect with with lightning fast notes i mean that's entirely possible or you might want it to linger out until the last little essences of that sound are gone and they're just sitting there sparkling. Then when you drop a note into it, it means something. The difference between making a sound be a good sound and allowing that sound to be whatever it is and, and perceiving of it then what sound would I put with it? So, so that's that's kind of hard in today's world. We're just we just think we're we just have to do the next thing really quick, you know. And and I'm as guilty of doing that as anybody. I mean, I'll think I have to have everything solved right now, you know. And and like it, it doesn't work that way really. So that's what I would really urge. Uh, musicians in this period of time that they learn how to stop everything so that what then begins has meaning. You know, so that you're not just echoing the past or evaluating the past into now, this, I'm doing this better now or something. Uh, and what is better after all anyway? I mean, uh, it's truth. Uh, one line in a song during a difficult time in my life was, was uh, had a line in it that said, the truth seems to be close to the music in me. It chases the dark from the dawn. 
And when I'm finished playing, the night is gone. Pass it on, pass it on. When music comes to me, I'll pass it on. Pass it on, pass it on. When music comes to me, that's where I want to be. Just playing another song and getting free. So music has the ability to imbue moments of time with such intense meaning that it's ridiculous to speak of it while you're within it. And don't be too, too intent on analyzing what that means. Just make it an experience that way. You know, make the music an experience. I mean, everybody's made, I mean, how many notes are there? There's, there's 12 of them. Uh, unless you're from these Eastern things, which is really pretty cool, or you might have as many as 64 notes within an octave, possibly. You know, it's like, uh, and to the Western ear, that's out of tune. Well, but to the Eastern ear, that is th those subtle differences that, that they hang all this energy on. So... But, but, I mean, generally speaking, there's 12 notes. And there's 10 billion notes being played all on those 12 notes. It's like... <laughs> the notes is like a just one-off part of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm glad I... I, I I'm glad I'm able to tell where notes are when I hear them. You know, it it it's it helps. Um, but I'm looking for new combinations and new ways of making notes notes have energy. So before we end, I want to ask you two more two more short questions. Yeah. One of them, it's. If you have a chance to hang out with with one person from whole history, oh. who would you choose and why? I, this is going to sound so. The first thing that came to me, and so I'll share that because because that that take a while. But you know what? I sure would like to know who I am. I'd like to hang out with me and figure out what the hell that guy that they, that I call me is. I would love to know what he really, what, what, what he's really trying to do with sound. Okay, well, that's not exactly answering your question. It's a good answer. But, uh, yeah, I really seek to try to, to, to know myself and then find if that uniqueness in some way can add to somebody's new vision of something possibly that they never thought of before or that they never quite experienced. And then that inspires them to look inside themselves and find that, that in themselves. Um, That's a great answer. Uh, and, and the last one, it might be sounds super simple, but I'm going to ask it anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, why... Do you play music? <laughs> Again, because when I hear music, it plays me. It, pl 
plays me into spots, and then I can manipulate it. I, I, I really wonder how this works. Why is it? I, I remember being at the Spokane International Arts Festival. I was performing there and, and doing some a Beethoven piano sonata. And I also had to sit through like 14 performances of a piano concerto that I did not want to hear, never liked it in the first place. I'd played it a bit, that concerto, and I didn't like it then either. And now I got to sit through 14 performances by different people. Along came one young kid, he played that, and my mouth dropped open. I had missed, and it just floored me that, that how is it that this energy and this beauty could be put into that? When it really wasn't, I didn't, I'd already discredited it as a pretty ho-hum piece that I was really not that interested in. Well, that was my problem. That was just a personal problem I had. But when this young man played this, that all changed. And I said, eh, never be too sure. You know? Maybe Mary Had a Little Lamb might be the greatest piece ever done. Maybe I haven't listened to it quite right. Or maybe I could make Mary Had a Little Lamb. <laughs> Whose fleece was white as... Uh, you're hurting. Uh, snow, okay. Yeah. Uh, again, see the tension? See the, you know, what if you could create something in that? And uh, so why do I play music? Because it's in real time. It changes the time that you're in music. When you're in music, that time is impregnated with a, a kind of life that wouldn't be there without it. And that changes you over a period of time. That, that makes you realize that other things are the same way. I walk through a forest. Uh, I, I ride through the forest on my bike. I mean, I'm a mountain biker. Well, try walking through there a few more times. Wow. And so I did that, and taking pictures of leaves and bushes and ferns going this way, you know, and the water, you know, little birds and rabbits running around and stuff, and you're quiet. All of a sudden, you become entranced into just being, not everything's about what I'm going to do or what I've done, and you know, and and getting to the next hill as fast as I can, you know, which is kind of my nature when I'm on a bike. And I like that part. But music creates multiples of energy, multiple degrees of energy that wouldn't be there without it. And that somehow creates a form of life that is larger than it would have been without it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much, Den, for um, 
to find some time to talk to me and share your <laughs> knowledge, share your thoughts about it. I really appreciate it. Well, I I appreciate your your interest in it for sure. Be uh, and in fact, sometimes, particularly at this age and during this time when I can't perform live here and can't do the thing, I can't go into the hospitals to perform. I can't do, you know. I start thinking, what is there, you know, and uh, so it's really, really, really helpful that. You're observing it. I'm. I'm really interested to see. I hope I live long enough to see where you're going. You know, because like, with this kind of curiosity and energy that you've got, you, you, something's gonna happen. I hope. <laughs> I'm yeah. not gonna lost it. Yeah. <laughs>